0: I do really believe that the future audience is not necessarily going to just show up for the historical canon. I feel the mandate needs to be what is relevant to people now and that that might be our only survival.
1: I remember the very first time I attended the opera in New York City. Going to the Metropolitan Opera House, or MET as it's more commonly known, is a memorable experience every time you go. Walking up the steps to the plaza and Lincoln Center, seeing the iconic arches of the Opera House in front of you, the chandeliers reflecting light off all the mirrored surfaces, the grand fountain in the center of the plaza, once inside, the feeling of the plush carpet under your finest shoes as you ascend the staircase, and of course, the drama that unfolds before you for the next three hours performed by some of the most accomplished voices in the world. Since then, I've attended an awful lot of opera, and I've been fortunate enough to do so in some pretty iconic places, from Berlin to Santa Fe, and of course, here at home in Los Angeles, which is actually how I became aware of my guest for today's episode. Beth Morrison is the founder, president, and creative producer of her namesake, Beth Morrison Projects, one of the foremost creators and producers of new opera theater and music theater. The organization is celebrated as having been an industry disruptor, and is now a tastemaker at the forefront of musical and theatrical innovation by commissioning, developing, producing, and touring the groundbreaking new works of a diverse group of living composers and their collaborators. Looking back at my first time at the Met, or even my most recent experience with LA Opera, I can never quite shake the feeling of rebellion that accompanies me every time I sit in a seat. All these years of attending the opera, I'm still one of the youngest people there, which makes me wonder. How do we keep opera alive for a new generation? This is a question Beth is doing more than her fair share to try to answer. Welcome to Living Untitled. Beth, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you, I'm so happy to be here, Justin. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Same, just thrilled to have this conversation. This is so much fun. And honestly, just like one of my favorite topics because I love art. I love performing art in particular the most. I love theater, opera, all of it. Like I can never get enough of it. It's just something that I grew up with. I was a performer at a young age, uh, musical theater, never opera, although I did dabble in singing opera probably poorly, which is why it never (laughs) became a thing (laughs) in my life. (laughs) I I was proud for those few moments of my life that I quote unquote spoke some German and Italian (laughs) during those moments, but never enough.
0: (laughs) Well, I started in musical theater too. so
1: (laughs) Ah, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So kindred spirits then in terms of that regard. So I love that. For sure.
0: Yeah. Amazing.
1: Well, hey, so we always love to start with just a few questions about uh, community because like that's really for us the crux of everything that we're getting to with this podcast. So I always like to sort of start with the question, how do we remind people that community is worth the investment? Because clearly you're investing in it. How do we remind other people that it's worth it?
0: That's such a good question. I mean, I will say that community is at the heart of everything that I do and it's the heart of what drives me. I get that from my dad who, um, I grew up in a, a, small, a small city in Maine and Um, My dad is like a local, a local celebrity in a way. And um, it's because he's so just unbelievably committed to the community and would, you know, give the shirt off his back and, you know, just volunteers and engages in so many ways and has been a leader in the community for so long. And so I think that um, that was instilled in me um, by him. And, um, you know, being in the theater, growing up in the theater was also the best of the best of communities, you know, just like the best. And I think I, I also learned from being in the theater and we had a community theater, but then we also had this all student theater project, which like a bunch of um, the kind of very ambitious folks from the community theater that were of, uh, high school and college age came together to to create one musical a year, and it was such an unbelievable community of people that just everyone brought their A game. Everybody was like rolled up their sleeves, hands in making something together. Didn't really matter like whose job was what. We were all doing everybody's jobs, and it just it just was like this very very rich. Um, introduction to what the power of what a community can do when people come together. And so I think I've been seeking that, you know, wow. all of my life and, um, and seeking to create that um, in the ways that I can. I have a quick, like funny little anecdote. Um, when I moved to New York uh, in 2005, I moved into um, a fourth floor walk up on the Upper East Side it was a small building. So there's like maybe 16 units in the building and you know i i was coming from grad school and you know mo- moving to new york for the first time and um and i was like oh i want to meet all the neighbors and you know have this like amazing community in our building and i invited everybody to, like, a get-to-know-your-neighbor party, and nobody showed up. no. Not one person showed up. Um, And so there was a little bit of a heartbreak there around, like, oh, okay, welcome to New York, Um, (laughs) which for a kid from Maine was a little tough. But um, so, you know, so New York, the success of living in New York happens when you can break New York down into... Communities. And so I started to get into the new music community. I started to get into um, the new opera community, which was tiny, tiny, tiny yeah. and almost didn't exist then. Um, and just trying to meet as many people as I could and artists. And, and along the way, like BMP became um, a home for artists and a, a community. Um, And we don't have a building, but, you know, we have, we have a home for artists uh, without a building and that community, um, the building of that community of singers, of composers, of directors, of designers who were young and hungry and wanting to do something together. And, um, you know, we all just kind of, in some ways, it was very much like the all student theater project I was talking about, you know all, all in, everybody's all in, let's figure out how to make something happen. And, um, and, you know, it's obviously on a professional level, so it's different, but, um, but, you know, it, it, it's been one of the joys of my life is creating this community um, around contemporary work. And, um, and then when, you know, we moved to L- LA, like, you know, extended out there, I was also wanting to find the community in LA with a community of artists, um, of course. And there's an amazing community of artists in LA. And it was so great to sort of dive in and get to know people and be part of that and try to help, you know, foster that new music, new opera scene out there. And then outside of that, you know, I, there's this amazing club there um, called RVCC. And it was it is a club of like, young designers and entrepreneurs and it just like that community really embraced me. And, um, and so, yeah, and it, it, and it was a home for, um, for me to, to meet people who are very different, but also like-minded in certain ways and to feel part of something. So yeah, community is at the core of everything I am really. And, uh, and what I seek out in all circumstances.
1: That's so awesome. That's so awesome. You said something really interesting to me in that, that I, I feel like I run into a lot when it comes to talking to people, even talking to clients, you know, that are trying to build community. What I love that you said that I think is a lesson that anyone can sort of learn from you is you don't have a building, but you still have a home. For this community, Mm -hmm. and I just, I'm curious if you can dive into that a little bit more, because like it, it sounds like you know, even you acknowledging that, it sounds like that's a pretty important distinguishing trait of your organization. It's like we we're still this home for all of these artists, all this community, but yeah, we don't we don't have a building, we don't need that to build this home for community.
0: Yeah, I mean you know, if we had a building, like it would be the clubhouse, you know, that's what I would call it. (laughs) Um, And, um, and, uh, without the clubhouse, you know, we kind of create the clubhouse, um, energetically and, um, emotionally and how we work with artists to embrace their work and, um, and, you know, how to build that out over time by not just keeping it insular but like expanding that network all the time and like now a lot of the composers that I you know sort of championed when they were very young are now stars and I'm trying to like keep the young generation connected to them um, as well and most of them are teaching anyway so they're used to that finding that sort of mentorship is something that's really important in continuing to build community um, so people are feeling embraced we have some programs that do that i don't think you need a building to create to create a community and i think that that's that's the guiding force for us
1: yeah i love that i love that and again i think it's just something that's a good reminder for anyone you know because so many organizations and maybe so many teams in the world today, like so many groups of people that you would consider a community in the world today, like all of that looks very different. We don't, we're not always spending as much time, maybe physically together as I think many of us would like, but doesn't mean there aren't so many amazing ways in which we can still cultivate and build community. So I love that you've found those ways that have worked really well for you and your organization.
0: Yeah, and you know, I was actually just having this conversation over lunch with my general manager, we were talking about, fostering community. And, um, we have a new office space. Uh, BMP has always, um, been run from my apartment. We're now too big (laughs) to do that. There are 15 of us. Um, and so we have a actual real office. And yesterday we had, um, an office warming party, uh, for the community and, um, just like, you know, sent out the invites, uh, far and wide and um, put it out on my Facebook. It was just like, hey, come over, like if you're here, you know, and, um, and it was just really amazing to have a space where people could come and have drinks and talk and chat. And we're talking about like doing that now, like once a quarter, where, you know, maybe that is our clubhouse. I don't know. Yeah, totally.
1: That's so awesome. I love it as an organization you are really well known in the industry for identifying that like new emerging talent whether that is the composers whether it is other creatives whether that is folks on the you know sort of production side as well you you just have this knack <laughs> which is amazing you know and and certainly just a gift in and of itself And so I'm curious then, because you said a really important word earlier around like mentorship, like helping to continue to grow that pipeline of talent, show people that there is this opportunity to be successful here, especially if you're trying to push past boundaries that exist in an industry. You're defining something new in an industry, which, again, seems really core to a lot of the work that you do and what you're attracted to when you're looking for this type of talent. So in the context of... Working as an artist, working as a sort of cultivator of art and craftsmanship, to me, you know, it, it probably—I I would imagine for you as well—it goes a little bit beyond just like the mentorship piece. What does community look like for that sort of that group? That that. Uh, Emerging ecosystem, sort of, you know, in a way, because it's like community is something different there when it gets to thinking in that way. I'm just so curious your thoughts.
0: Yeah, I mean, mentorship and cultivating the next generation of artists and producers is at the core of what we're doing. Um, and as, you know, BMP is 18 years old now, as we've matured, that has become more and more important to me. Um, it would be very easy for me to just sort of rest on the laurels of the mid-career composers and artists that I've worked with for the last 18 years. And I love them and I'll always work with them. Um yeah. And they'll always have a home at BMP, particularly for the work that um, is maybe too uh, experimental or too, you know, whatever for the large companies to to do. Um, but that BMP will always be a home for them for that kind of work. But I do think our superpower is really identifying the next generation of leaders um, in the field. And we do that in a couple of ways. So NextGen is our composers competition that we run. um, And we're about to start that again in in the spring. Um, It's our our way of identifying who is the next star in the opera world. most of them have never written an opera when they when they um, submit Emma O'Halloran, actually, you mentioned you came to see trade. Yeah. She was our first next gen winner. She had at that point only written one vocal piece. it was a song. And she never thought that she would ever be able to write an opera. Um, but through the mentorship um, of BMP and the mentors that we gave to her in artist form. And then also um, that our developmental workshopping process, she now says that this is what she was born to do. Um, And so, you know, that's the biggest joy I think in my life, uh, in my job um, is, um, is really finding those young, very talented composers who have, you know, innate um, skills in how to write drama in their music and then cultivating that and um, bringing them along and showing them what a collaborative process is like, because a lot of composers work very, um, you know, isolated because of the work that they're writing. But opera is a collaborative art form. And so bringing them into that process and showing them that process and you know, helping to guide and shape with them along the way, ultimately, you know, births a fully formed opera composer that's ready for their next piece. And um, that's sort of the biggest joy for me. Um, we also, in NextGen, we also give young singers that we've never worked with um, cast. we cast them, um, young designers we haven't worked with, directors we haven't worked with. So it's really an opportunity to bring in an entire team in the young generation to get to know them and to give them experience and to say, okay, this one fits BMP. Let's, let's continue working with that person. This one fits BMP. Let's continue working with that person. Oh, I don't think they're quite right for like just the ethos of our company, wish them well on their journey have given them, you know, uh, an experience and, um, And then we started our Producers Academy uh, during the um, pandemic. And um, it was something I had wanted to do for a while, um, but didn't have the time to do. And when everything came to a halt, uh, it seemed like the thing to focus on. And so we now have over 100 alumni of that program. And we just announced yesterday our our latest cohort of twenty five. Um, we had three hundred people apply for 25 positions. And um, it's now fully funded by the Mellon Foundation. And so all positions are full scholarship and it's our way of really trying to seed the next generation of creative and tour producers, um, which is not something that you can really go to school for. Um, And so in an eight week course, we're trying to give like a crash course in how to be a creative and tour producer. Mellon is also funding three full-time fellowships with BMP and so those folks will work with us as associate producers. they'll work on developing work with us they'll, they'll work on touring work with us, they'll work on world premieres. so they'll see every every step of that process um, after a year of which they will they will be very well uh, versed in how to how to make this happen on their own. That's our commitment. Yeah, that mentorship piece is is definitely where my heart is at the moment.
1: You're looking at the entire ecosystem of opera. You're not not thinking about like, okay, well, how do I continue to, you know, transform and reinvent this medium? Well, I'm just going to work with my friends, my favorite, (laughs) you know, composers over here, my favorite artists. And look, nothing wrong with that, right? Like we all know, you know, artists have their muse and that allows them to create amazing work. And and that's all sort of like a necessary part of this. But you, like you've sort of said here, it's like community is really, really, truly at the core. And you're putting that into action by thinking about like, okay, I need to uplift the entire opera ecosystem. I can't just focus on the people on the stage, the people that are writing the music, the people that are putting the sets together. I need to think about truly everyone that's going to put a hand into creating this amazing work and helping to bring that to more and more people around the world. So that's really incredible how you've sort of taken that type of approach in this. Was that always the sort of vision for you at at, at day one? No,
0: the vision from day one was to disrupt the opera industry. And I, you know, when I started, there was no term for that. Like there was not like the disruptor term, (laughs) Um, but that is what I wanted to do. I basically wanted to completely shake things up and um, make something that I felt that was felt contemporary to a young audience at the time I was in my 20s um, when I had the vision for BMP. I wanted to tell the stories of our time in our language with composers who were writing in a language that felt exciting to me. I thought then would be exciting to, um, you know, a wider swath of young people. I wanted to bring, you know, a very contemporary multimedia aesthetic into the art form, which really wasn't happening at all at that time. Um, And I was, you know, seeing Incredible work of like Robert Lepage and like some you know just some incredible theater artists Robert Wilson yeah. and and just like like not understanding why we couldn't bring that into opera and um and so I started to dream about that and then I started to think about the fact that there are no women like in opera that it was such a male-dominated field, that the composers that were um, getting gigs were all, for the most part, white men. And I wanted to really shake that up and um, tell the stories of of the people, by the people who were, were marginalized in the field. And so that was women and artists of color. And so from the beginning, that was our mandate. And as a woman-led organization, um, you know, championing women was at the core of BMP and what I wanted to do from the start. Um, and so that was the goal. That was the first goal. And then as I've gotten older, um, I realized that I've done that. I've I've disrupted the field. I've helped to create a movement, um, which then took hold. And there are so many people that have joined that movement to move it forward and to create this like, incredible birth of American opera in the 21st century to really um, focus on the stories of our time. And all of that just has created this incredible movement. And it's almost every opera company in the country now does new work and that was not happening. So when I started because I was looking around going like where can I do this? And part of me starting BMP was because th- there was nowhere to do it and nobody would give a young woman an opportunity to program. Like there was literally no op- opportunities for me. So I had to do it on my own because I was never going to be given the mantle. Having been a, you know, a big force in in the change that's happened, now I, my, my, you know, my eyes have really turned to how do we continue to lead in innovation? How do we continue to lead in equity? And how do we foster the next generation? And those are really the three things that for me are driving um, everything that BMP is doing. All of that sits in the cradle of community.
1: I first want to kind of drill down for a lot of people that, you know, maybe listening that are, are, maybe they go to see opera, maybe they don't, I don't know. But you brought up a really interesting point around that I think is probably something a lot of people don't really think about or maybe even take for granted is that there are not a lot of women that previously have been in opera. And I think for a lot of people that, again, maybe are casual opera patrons in some way, shape, or form are just exposed to it, they they think of, you know, the amazing soprano on the stage that is like the woman that it's like, what do you mean there are no women in opera? And sure, you're right. There are a few performers that always stick out in people's mind as women in opera. But what you're really specifically talking about is the women creating those stories, behind the scenes building... That new canon of work, correct? That's sort of what you're focused exactly. on. Exactly,
0: hundred percent. Yeah, of course, they're amazing singers that have been in the zeitgeist. You know, Maria Callas and yeah. um, Jesse Norman, and you know, I mean, we could name a hundred of them. <laughs> totally. Um, <laughs> uh, right now, Renee Fleming, of course, at yeah. the at the head, and she's such a. And a shout out to Renee for just being more than just a singer on the stage. She's yes, such a champion for new music. For she's champ, champion yes. for science and and music. and all of the things that she does are really incredible. No, I am specifically talking about the creators and the ones who who is telling the story and who is writing the music and who is directing and creating a vision for the stage, specifically. Um, wow. also we champion women conductors and you know young women conductors and really try to give opportunities to launch um you know careers in that way as well so yes um the stage will always have the sopranos and the altos and the mezzos and the you know um but behind behind the scenes and also like at the general director level at the um producer level at the arts admin level um particularly at, at the leadership level there just hasn't been much by way of women presence. Now that's in the last few years, that's changed. Um, There's a long way to go still, but there is progress. And, um, and, you know, what I, when I was looking around and there was nowhere for me to go, you know, literally everything was run by a man in, in the field. And I went to an opera America conference in 2008 and just like walked in and was like, Oh my God, where am I? Because like this is a this is a room full of white men in suits, and I can't, I, I I don't belong here, and um and so I left, and then I came back in 2014, and the whole thing had shifted. It was like you know starting to move, and it moved pretty rapidly, um into talking about new work and to creating new work and opening up opportunities for women creators. And so, you know, I was a part of that change. And, and then that change really like took hold. And so things are much, much, much better for women in the field, you know, way better than it ever was. There's still ways to go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And why is that so important? I understand why <laughs> certainly you know what i mean <laughs> but yeah. but why why is it so important say you know for someone that's kind of thinking it's like well the medium has existed forever it's stood the test of time it's this sort of classical sort of well appreciated medium of opera and again i'm sort of asking it in a in a very um intentionally direct way when i think there are some obvious answers but i also think there's some maybe less obvious answers of why it's so important that we champion women creators in, in, in a field like opera.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just, I, you know, I was just say that, um, you know, we're over half the population. So if, if we're not telling stories that matter to women and the women aren't having the chance to write, well, then we're missing half the population. Um, the, you know, what BMP does, you know, sure, you can call it opera. It's not all sits in that bucket. It's all sort of music theater, it's, you know, vocal theater, it's sung theater, you know, it's it it doesn't hit in the sort of way that people think of opera in the Aida form or the La Boheme form or, or whatever it might be. Um, and, you know, I don't have the responsibility to uphold the canon, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. A, an organization you know like la opera or the met like they have a responsibility to uphold the canon not exclusively but that is part of the mandate of of what the organization is i don't have that and so there's a huge freedom in that for me which is i can work with the writers that i think are the writers of our time to tell the stories and then that should bring in a new audience that is actually interested in what women have to say, what artists of color, composers of color have to say, um, that is different than what Mozart, Beethoven, Puccini would say. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Oh, I love that. I love that. What freedom comes in that, but also what power and probably what responsibility comes in that if you are trying to lead this sort of, like you said, be the disruptor in the past, and you're still continuing to certainly disrupt this medium. Thankfully, more people are rallying behind you and doing this type of work as well, which is fantastic. But again, you really had to pioneer that to get people to recognize, hey, we can do something new here. But there's a lot of responsibility that comes now that you are looking ahead with this medium.
0: Yeah, I, th- I feel that responsibility for sure. Um, but I guess I would say um, I feel like the companies that are, you know, not even just in our field, like all fields, that are the disruptors that then be kind of come into sort of being establishment, right, over time, and then often stagnate, and True. so, yes. and I think I think sometimes that stagnation happens because of that responsibility of feeling that you know, yoke of responsibility. Um, And so people start to become safe and don't want to make a misstep. And so for me, I think what I'm constantly trying to charge myself with is how do I stay fresh by taking risks? How do I open the door to artists who are going to push us in directions that might be uncomfortable, um, but that are the right directions to go into? And how do I keep that at the forefront of what we're doing? Um, and how do I keep challenge myself as a curator, as a producer, as a creative artist myself to really push and not 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 be safe? Um, and I think the, the more established you get, the harder that is.
1: Absolutely. I'm really glad that you brought up that word risk, because it was one of the things that in your mission, you talk about identifying composers who take artistic risks to evolve opera theater, music theater at large. I, I, I Broadly speaking from the top down, I'm so curious. What you would consider, like what kind of risk? Because <laughs> risk is an interesting word for a lot of people, I think. And you know, and you you kind of talked about this, right? Like or alluded to this when you talk about like it doesn't matter what sort of category of organization you are in the world. Like you said, if you're a pioneer, you can stagnate because you get to a place that it's like taking that risk feels a little too great sometimes. And if you're constantly trying to always take these risks, how do you? Evaluate or identify what are the risks we're willing to take, and how do you then recognize the value in continuing to take these types of risks?
0: Yeah, I mean it's such a good question because I think it's at the heart of staying relevant, um, and that's something that I want for BMP always is to stay relevant. Um, as you get bigger, I mean you know we're fifteen staff members now. We you know have a, a a wonderful board, um, that, uh, sits on, you know, the boards of the LA opera, the LA Phil master crawling, the big organizations in LA, um, and um, wonderful New York board members as well. And so you start to, you know, become, uh, responsible to your staff and to your board. Um, and, you know, I have an amazing staff and board that want risks to be taken. But of course the question is, yeah, at what cost and how do you minimize risk? And what does it mean to really offer um, a space for artists to try and possibly fail? Um, and what is the cost to the organization? You know, whether that be financial, whether that be reputation, whether that be whatever. Um, and, it's a it's a hard it's a hard thing actually to talk about sometimes. Um, yeah. But um, but all I can say is that the art form any art form will not evolve if there's no risk involved. And so when a composer, um, you know, my one of my favorite examples of this is David T. Little's Dog Days, which is this wonderful, incredible opera. Um, and when he was writing it he called me and he said, so I don't think there's any singing or words in the last 20, 25 minutes of the piece. Is that okay for an opera? <laughs> and, and I remember just saying to him clearly, if that's how you're hearing it, of course, it's okay. Let's do it. Let's try it. Let's see what happens and we'll workshop it. And if it doesn't feel right, we can change it. But like, if that's what your gut is telling you and that's what you want to write, write it. And that's generally always my my response when I get a, a call like that um, is trust your instinct, and if it doesn't work, we'll find out. I'm not going to put you up there to fail. We, we do a workshop process so that we determine if these things are possible. But if I said uh, no, I don't. I don't think that. I don't think you should do that. Well, then we wouldn't have dog days, you know, <laughs> and, and what it is in like those last 20, 25 minutes with no text is like wrenching it's like it's just like gives me chills just thinking about it you know and that would never have happened if i had shut that down
1: goodness i mean they're they're lucky to have you then because (laughs) they don't always get those types of environments you know we don't we none of us do none of us do I, I, I want to kind of, again, where, you know, we, you alluded to it earlier, the keeping opera alive for a new generation, the next generation, it's thinking about obviously the amazing creators, but it's also thinking about keeping it relevant to audiences so that you're bringing in new audiences. I guess let's start with the why, like, why is it so important in your mind to keep an art form like opera alive for a new generation?
0: I will say that, you know, when I started, I felt like, um, I was a singer. I started as a singer and I was performing in opera. I was seeing opera and there was just nothing that I felt connected to as a young person. It just, though, you know, the language barrier, the, um, the musical idiom, the the stories, like it just didn't feel at all relevant to me. And so I was really pushing to create something that felt relevant to me as a singer, because I was supposed to love this art form. And I didn't. And it was it just didn't feel like it fit me. And so I was trying to create something that as a young singer would from, you know, 20th century would fit me, Um, and that was sort of the impetus uh, in a lot of ways. Now I don't really care, honestly. (laughs) Like I hate to say that, but um, but you know uh, any art form should or shouldn't exist in the in the moment that it's in, based on the society based on how it reflects the society, based on what people want to see and what audiences want. And if at the end of the day, people don't want opera, well, then something new is going to be created that will take its place. Um, What I believe in, I believe in singing. I believe in the voice as a communicator. I believe in music as the ability to tell stories in a way that um, just going to see a play without music, I'm never affected in the same way as I am when I go to see something that has music as a foundation in the storytelling. So I believe in singing. I believe in text. I believe in music. And if that creates opera, well, great. Let's continue this tradition. If that is something totally different that our society wants to hear and and to partake in, well, then let's put our investment there because maybe that's what we need right now. I believe that museums are important. The Metropolitan Museum of Art is incredibly important to see where we've come from in the history of who we are. But do we need A hundred of them across the country or 500 of them across the country? No, I don't think so. I would say the same thing for the Metropolitan Opera. They are the best place to do the museum. They have the most resources. They can do it the most spectacularly. So maybe we don't need 500 of them across the country. Maybe we need more that want to innovate and do something that speaks to more of a younger, more of a contemporary, whatever it might be, that is the next generation of audience members for this art form. And maybe we don't need to feed them the museum canon. I'm not saying we we shouldn't. I'm not saying we don't. And I'm not saying you don't believe in it but maybe there's something for us to think about there in terms of who who's doing what and how much of the the how much of the resources are going into the museum
1: yeah it's such an interesting point and i i, I you you Caught yourself before I did. <laughs> Caught you because I was going to challenge you on that point <laughs> about preserving some of the past because and, and a great example being, you know, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, right? Like in encyclopedic museums like this, art museums, they're vital. I mean, of goodness, course. the former, the former, you know, head of the museum, and I forget his name right now. I'm blanking on his name. He wrote a wonderful book about it that's just like answering this question of why art museums matter. And he gave a really compelling argument around it, that it's like, we have to at least have some record of humanity, like that's I part of the completely
0: agree, H- history, history shows us where we've been, shows us who we have been. And, uh, and I believe in that in, in opera, and I think it's important. I just challenge in an era where resources are so slim, And the Met Museum does HD transmission, right? Mm -hmm. So people all over can actually go and see an unbelievable Aida, you know, which is maybe the most expensive opera in the canon to put on, So uh, outside of Wagner. So why,
1: you know, (laughs)
0: why bankrupt your company trying to do a Parsifal or a Ring Cycle? If people have access to seeing what is being done at the very top of the field, I'm going to get like, I'm going to get skewered if any of my (laughs) colleagues, you know, actually listen to this because this is quite a controversial thing to say. And I don't think I've ever really said it out loud. (laughs) But I do really believe that the future audience is not necessarily um, going to just show up for, for, the historical canon. I feel like we have to, I I feel the mandate needs to be what is relevant to people now. And, and that that might be our only survival as companies all around are fall, you know, falling down and faltering and theater and opera everywhere. Right. Like post pandemic reckoning of the arts world is happening right now. And who's going to survive. and, there's going to be less audience for all of us right now. So how do we how do we really how do we really figure that out? I think it's asking the hard questions.
1: Oof! I I love that you went there. Like I love that you <laughs> attack it head on because <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. And honestly, more organizations need to hear it. More organizations need to. Figure out how to work through the fear part of it, and look—I, I, you know, I could sit here and grandstand about it too, and people will just be like, well, <laughs> "Why are you talking about it?" <laughs> but you know, because we're not leading—I'm not leading those organizations, but you are—you are leading that next generation organization that is actually helping to create this new momentum. Show people that it's like, "Hey, I, I can be a beacon of change here." in an industry and show you that we can be successful with this at the same time. And so thank you for doing that type of work because you are standing up in the faces of these organizations that are saying, but what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And get lost there with the fear place and not ready to ask the tough questions that you are ready to ask in the work. So that's amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, there's that quote that I, I it just follows me in my whole life, which is feel the fear and do it anyway. And I honestly I live by that because everything's risky right now. Mm-hmm. There's not anything that anyone is doing in the arts that is not risky, based on the based on where we're at with funding, audiences, all of the all of the changes. Um, so, yeah, we all got to feel the fear and do it anyway, and just try to charge ahead and and find the new audience.
1: Thank you, Beth. This was amazing. And honestly, that's probably just a great place to end the conversation because I I couldn't think of a better message to leave for people that as we think about attracting new audiences, as we think think about bringing anything to new audiences, keeping them relevant to new audiences, face that fear head on and ask these really tough questions because you're going to find the answer whether you're willing to go for it or not. And I'm glad that organizations like BMP, like you have been doing your entire career, you're you're going for it. Head on.
0: Yeah, we're going for it. <laughs> we're swinging to the rafters. We're going for it.
1: <laughs> Amazing. Oh, Beth, thank you so much for spending you, this Justin. time with me. It's been really fun. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. This episode was produced by the Untitled Future team. For more information about Untitled Future, please visit us at untitledfuture.com or follow us on LinkedIn. And for more episodes, please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Once again, I'm your host, Justin Boone. Thanks for listening. And remember, life's better when you belong.